Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Tyson Cross. Thanks for being on the show, Tyson. My pleasure. Tyson is an active mobile home park investor, is senior broker at HFO Investment Real Estate, specializing in mobile home parks and multifamily investments. He also hosts the Real Estate Deal Flow and Mobile Home Park Talk podcast. So Tyson, give us a little more about your background and, and what your focus is right now. Sure. Thanks for having me, Whitney. I'll keep it brief. My, uh, you know, I originally was a teacher out of college, um, coached baseball, played baseball, and then uh, slowly was asked to start a business with a friend, got introduced to business from that standpoint, and then decided to go into commercial real estate um, and uh, hadn't, haven't looked back. I got into commercial real estate as a, a property manager back in 2012, managing commercial um, class A office, medical office. And then from there, really knew I wanted to be a broker. Um, and so that's where I'm at today. Broker slash investor. So Awesome. So, you know, it just hit me. Maybe we could talk to the, uh, the, the listeners who are transitioning from, you know, that full-time position like you had as a teacher and then, you know, growing that business and, and how you decided to move full-time into real estate. Uh, and, you know, could you talk about that process a little bit? And I know, I know that's a, it's a big topic and I get questions about that all the time. Uh, just like, you know, you're working full-time and how you made that work and, and uh, some key things that uh, we need to know about if we're in the same boat. Yeah, no, happy to talk about that. In fact, I think it's a huge topic as well. Um, a lot of people are in in that that scenario where they see real estate. They, there's a lot of information out there. A lot of um, podcasters like yourself. A lot of people blogging, and it it looks really sexy, right? It's enticing. It's like, how do I get to that point? Maybe you're stuck in a job. For me, I was I was always a teacher. Not always a teacher, but I was always in that mindset because I grew up in a household with, you know, my dad was a teacher and my mom was a counselor. Never really got outside that box until I had a friend ask me to start a business. That business was actually selling uh, mattress, memory foam mattress toppers, and we sold them to college bookstores. And so the kids would go in the college bookstore, pick it up for their dorm bed. It's called dorm form. It was pretty cool. But it taught me a lot about business, number one taught me a lot about partnerships. It opened my eyes to business. And from that point, I started to think, well, if this doesn't, if this isn't a long-term thing or sustainable thing, what am I going to do? Cause I knew I was hooked in business. Like once I got a taste of it, I realized that's what I should have been doing the whole time. And real estate was something I was drawn to for numerous reasons. But one of the key reasons was I read a book called um, the ABCs of real estate investing, Ken McElroy. Uh, and in that book, he talks about his progression from a property manager of multifamily to ultimately buying his own buildings to where he is now. And, you know, he's obviously he's a big uh, multifamily investor, uh, very successful, owns lots of property. And so for me, I looked at that and I said, that is the way that I want to go. And once I made that decision, then it became a very uh, clear so, so I had a very clear goal. Then I said, well, how am I going to get there? 
because I was a teacher. I was te- you know, I got a master's in special ed. I was teaching children with autism. No, ba- no business background outside of the small business I just started. So for me to go from where I was to jumping into, you know, Cassidy Turley at the time in downtown San Francisco, it was a journey. It did not happen overnight. I think a lot of people want it to happen overnight, but it doesn't. And I can actually go back and look at that timeline. It took me about eight to 10 months from the moment I said, you know what, I'm going to go for this to the point that I actually got hired. And there were a couple of things that I did, uh, well, several, but a couple of key things I think that people can do. And I actually wrote a blog article on this topic. Number one is identify the goal. Like, what do you want to do exactly? And there, the, the beauty about real estate is there's so many different things in real estate that you can do. And so what is that? What is that one thing that you want to do? Number one. And I think you have to explore. You got to read a lot. You got to talk to a lot of people. Um, for me, I did, I did uh, ride alongs. So I called everybody I knew in commercial real estate, brokers, appraisers, property managers. And I just said, Hey, can I go shadow you for a day? Let me buy you a cup of coffee. Let me just ride along with you and see what you do. And so for me, that was a really good way to identify what it is that I liked about commercial real estate. What did I think that my skill set would, would match well with? And then from there, um, the second thing I did was, you know, and that's, this is very similar, but put yourself out there. So I went to multiple broker open houses. I kind of identified, okay, I want to be a broker, but how do I do that? Right. Cause I don't have any brokerage background. And so I, I started going to broker open houses. I remember I went to Marcus and Chaps open house that in downtown San Francisco. Uh, I went to another boutique firm. I mean, I probably went to four or five and from there started realize, okay, in order to become a broker, what do I need? Well, I need, I need some savings because I understand that this takes time to build up your book of business. And, you know, ultimately those two things, when you start educating yourself on the different aspects or different um, things in real estate, understanding what it is that you're, you're trying to achieve or your goal, and then putting yourself out there. Those are two really big things. And for me, it took a long time. Um, but ultimately it came down to like the last month I probably was, um, I had interviewed for a teaching position and was at my last, you know, kind of effort to get a commercial real estate job. And I just, I was so close. We were about to have a baby and my wife was about to, she was like, you better go get a job or you're done. I'm kicking you out. And I had a job offer from a teacher and I said, you know what? I got to wait because I, I need to hear the back from these people. And I got lucky enough where uh, a really good guy hired me and um, the rest is history. So wow, a lot of work though. It doesn't happen overnight. The key thing is you have to be able to put yourself out there because you know, this is a, this is a people business. And if you want to be in real estate, I mean, you know, you, you're dealing with people on a daily basis. That's right. And I, I thought eight to 10 months was pretty fast too, to, to switch your, you, so eight to 10 months, you went from full-time teacher to a uh, full-time broker. Mm-hmm. Well, so what happened was I, I identified as, you know, for me, it was always once I read that book from Ken McElroy, I was like, I want to be an investor. I want to be a multifamily investor. And so I said, in order to do that, likely the quickest way to do that would to be become a broker, right? And you're dealing with product, you're selling product, you're dealing with owners, you're, you're finding uh, buildings. At the time, we, my wife was pregnant and we needed a... a we needed the security of a salary or an income. 
And so for me, it wasn't quite the right timing. So I went into the commercial property management from there, transitioned to broker a couple of years later. Okay. So yeah, it happened fast. I mean, I had a deadline. I was, uh, I was working under pressure. And when you're committed and you, you, have, um, you have a clear identified goal and you know what you want, then I think it's anybody can do it. You know, it's just a matter of going out and executing. So, so you know, somebody that's thinking about becoming a broker, though, do you do you recommend that? Like getting into the commercial business or commercial space, and you know, with your experience now, do you say, you know, why don't you go become a, you know, a licensed agent or, or a broker, or you know, uh, do you recommend that? It's a great question. Uh, it depends. Um, for me, I was at a point where I was. Uh, 31. I had a, a fair amount of life experience. Um, I think people in that situation can relate a little bit easier to some of these owners. Whereas maybe coming out of college, you're a little, you're still a little green. Relating to these owners can be a little more challenging. Uh, so I would say it depends on the person. Number one, number two, you have to be willing to not get a paycheck for I would say at least a year. Certainly the market now has shifted a little bit. It's softened a little bit. So I'd say even longer. So if you've got savings and you're able to with kind of weather that storm and you know you want to be a broker and you have a clear understanding of what it is that you want to go do as a broker, then go go do it. I would say look for a team maybe that you can join. Maybe start as a runner and really kind of build some sweat equity, go out and hustle and, and maybe get attached to a team that can give you a piece of these deals. But no, I think, um, I think for me, it was, it was fantastic because starting as a manager or getting the commercial management, you learn everything about real estate from building systems to leasing, to negotiating with tenants, uh, you know, and, and so that's a great platform. And so I would encourage anyone. I mean, that's, I think if, if you're, trying to determine, Hey, should I jump into brokerage or maybe should I go this route? Um, that's a great way to go too. Yeah. I've met, you know, numerous people that I've asked or, or have mentioned about becoming a broker, uh, just to get their foot in the door, you know, in this syndication business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, I just wondered from your experience, uh, but no, I appreciate you, you laying that out there. And so, you know, is, uh, our, our mobile home parks, uh, you know, your, uh, choice of, of asset, you know, or, or, uh, or what is it and, and why? They are my choice of asset. In fact, I'm, I've, I've been brokering multifamily the past four years, but I'm moving towards mobile home parks, uh, and continuing to do multifamily. There's a bunch of reasons why I like mobile home parks. Um, but I think, and, and by the way, I still love multifamily. I would love to own multifamily eventually as well. For me, mobile home parks seemed like the right Avenue because it it seemed like there were um, there seemed like there were more opportunities uh, and I, I say that because it's still a highly fragmented asset class. It's becoming much more consolidated today. I mean, I think you're seeing people buy these much more uh, professional ownership groups and institutions buying these than they were two years ago, even. But the fact is, there's still a lot of mom and pop owners out there. Number one, I mean, the, the main reason I like them so much is the supply and demand. If you look at demand as it keeps going up and will continue to go up, supply is actually decreasing. It's the only asset class that's actually going away. And so if you just take that stat or just that factor alone, they're going to be incredibly valuable in the next 10 years. 
Um, and then you add to the fact that affordable housing is only going to get more and more of a, a, a need and got a perfect storm. So, but yeah, I love mobile home parks. I love apartments. Those two really, I think you can't go wrong with housing. You know, I think if you invest in housing, you're, that's, that's a pretty safe bet for the future. So, you know, let's, I guess let's dive into mobile home parks a little bit. I don't have many guests that talk about uh, details of mobile home parks and, and uh, the differences between them and multifamily, you know, and, and maybe some things that uh, uh, if I'm looking at going into mobile home parks or investing and buying mobile home parks, things that I need to know that I, if I, coming from multifamily that I wouldn't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously the, the the main differences are, as a mobile home park investor, you you typically own the land. Um, you may own some homes. We look for parks where we generally own the land, and most of the homes are owned by the residents. So the, that that being the primary difference. Whereas apartments, you're going to own the entire structure and the land. Um, what I like about mobile home parks is the fact that you know when you're when you're talking about that instance where they own their own home, the, the residents. Typically, turnover is is much much less frequent than apartments, and when you have turnover in apartments, obviously you got to go in and spend some money to fix up the unit more often than not, um, and you have costs associated with that. So, in apartments, I think the average turnover is about a year and a half, and in mobile home parks, it's about seven years. And I don't know where I heard that, but I heard that, and it it seems to ring true. And so, because of that, when you have a park where where residents own their own home, there's much less of a management intensive project. Um, so we have a park out in Kansas city. It's a 71 space park. And we have now three homes left that are owned by the tenants. Um, and so if you think about that, just from conceptually, we don't have to maintain those homes. The residents do. So if there's something that goes wrong inside the home, those, those residents are responsible for that. So it becomes a much different management project. Um, and so I would say that's, I mean, those are the, the, the those are the, the benefits of, of mobile home park investing. So you said three of the homes are owned by you all, but out of 71. Yeah. So when we took over, there were 19 and we since have done a, a, a big push to sell those homes. And so we offer those to the residents that are living there and a lot of them want to own their own home. And so we do a program that, that benefits them sort of like a rent to own program but essentially it, it basically gives the ownership back to them. We deed the home over to them after a certain period of time. And effectively they now own their home and we, we don't have to maintain that. Now, of course we still, you know, we're, so our job becomes maintaining the park, maintaining the, the roads, the infrastructure, making sure the, the, the landscaping looks good and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm, uh, if I'm just getting started and, and looking at mobile home parks and, you know, what are some key things say, uh, whether from underwriting or due diligence that I'm that I'm going to need to know that uh, that I'm not going to be used to looking for when if I'm used to looking at, at multifamily. Yeah, one of the big differences as well is is utility systems. A lot of mobile home parks can have their own private utilities. If you think about these, a lot of these were built in rural locations where maybe cities grew to the, to them. There's a ton of them that are built in the city as well, but uh, you tend to have more variance across. Um, mobile home parks in terms of where they were built. And so what we see is we'll see, um, well, like well water, private water system or private sewer. And that can range depending on where you are in the country from septic to, uh, wastewater treatment plants 
which is basically the park's own private, um, you know, sewage treatment center that the city is on, or they've got lagoons and and those you see in the Midwest and the South. Um, so those are, that's a big thing to look for. One of the ways I tell people if they're looking at, uh, like Google maps and trying to identify parks, it's a great way when you're looking at, you know, where to, where to look for parks and trying to identify a market. One of the ways you can tell if a park has those type of systems is, you know, first and foremost, if it's in a rural location, probably a good chance that it's on private utilities. Secondly, if you zoom in, sometimes you'll see what looks like a little pond in the park. And that more often than not can be a lagoon, especially if you're in the Midwest or certain parts of the country. Um, out here in the Northwest, we don't have really, we don't have lagoons, but we do have a lot of septic. And so, you know, those are things to look out for. I think the biggest piece is, you know, when you're talking about mobile home parks, just like any other asset class, you have to understand it. You need to educate yourself and, and understand what, what you're looking for um, and how that relates to that specific asset. But yeah, those are some, some things. You know, I think the last thing when you're talking about underwriting is just that component of park-owned home. Um, we try not to value the park-owned homes by using a cap rate. Uh, and you'll see a lot of brokers who don't really understand how to underwrite a park. They'll just take the income and expenses, including the rental income of the park-owned home, and they'll, they'll apply a cap rate to it. What that does is oftentimes it can, it can overvalue that home. So in a market, let's say, for example, in a Kansas City market where homes go from anywhere from five grand to 20 grand, if you apply a cap rate to the rental income that is above your lot rent, and I'm sort of getting a little little technical here, but good. that can oftentimes be more than, let's say, eight to 15 grand or whatever that home's worth. It could be like 40 grand. So in other words, you might be overpaying if you do it that way. And so what we do is we take a shell value, just like we would comp a home. We say, what are these homes actually selling for in the retail market? We're going to apply that value, maybe a discounted value, plus the income, the lot rent income. And that's a combined value for the part. Nice. No, I appreciate you laying that out. And I mean, there's, yeah, so much about this asset class that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, you know, how how did you educate yourself uh, about mobile home parks specifically? Well, there's a great podcast, uh, Kevin Buck, Charles mm-hmm. Dehart, they do, uh, the mobile home park Academy. They've done a great job. You know, you can go back and listen to that, that from the beginning and they, they provide a ton of value. Um, I went to the Frank and Dave bootcamp mobile home university a few years ago. And, uh, that, and is 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 also good, but I think just, you know, like anyone doing as much, you can only do as so much education. Right. And, and there comes a point when you just have to go out and do it yourself. And I talk a lot about this. In fact, I just did a, an episode on my podcast about this um, investor psychology and how so many people get wrapped up in, I need to go get the course. I need to, I need to educate myself more. I need to do this and this and this. The reality is you're going to learn more than you ever do once you actually go out and do a deal. And I can't stress that enough. There's going to be a point where you will plateau and it's just a matter of going out and doing a deal. And some people never reach that point. And I think it happens more frequently than, than we actually talk about. So that's one thing I, I really am fascinated with is like the psychology of, of real estate investing. Cause it's, cause it's inherently risky, right? I mean, there's risk involved when this, with this business and nobody wants to lose a bunch of money. 
But the fact of the matter is um, you have to take that risk in order to reap those rewards that you're seeking. And so for me, it was just, it was doing the education, putting myself in a position where I knew enough. And then I was like, all right, let's go do it. So that's kind of what I think everybody has to do. So Tyson, what would you say has been the hardest part uh, of just this real estate journey uh, for you or, you know, going from full-time teacher to full-time broker now, you know, an investor and growing this business, what's been the hardest thing for you? It's a good question. I don't know if I could pinpoint the hardest thing on this journey, but I will tell you, you know, one of the things I think about on, on a pretty frequently being a broker uh, is like riding a roller coaster. Um, and for anyone who is a broker out there understands what I'm talking about, but we live in a world where we only get paid when we close a deal. And so very important to um, be consistent in your actions, maintain that level, uh, kind of the, just that level headedness um, and understand that if you can keep completing those actions on a daily basis, you'll be successful. And then the second thing for me is just, you know, wanting to be further along than where I am, you know, I have a goal for my investing, uh, or my goals for, for being an investor and trying to find ways to speed that up. It's, you know, and and I know a lot of people are in this position. They're like, I want to have, I have a goal of making X amount of cash flow, or maybe owning a hundred doors, or you've got those goals, but it's like, how do you, how do you want to get there quicker than you are? So just, just understanding that this is a long-term, um, business and, and, you know, keeping that mindset and focusing on those daily activities that'll get you there. So what's a way you've recently improved your business that we could all apply to ours? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think putting yourself out there, like I, I always talk about, so, so starting a podcast for myself, um, I started a blog and so just putting those things out where it's, it's pretty uncomfortable at first when you do it. And I'm sure you know this, you know, the first time you interview a guest, it's a little weird, but the reality is, is the people business, the way that you're going to have success is by putting yourself out there, do things that make you uncomfortable. The only way to grow is to become uncomfortable and to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so I can't stress that enough. Um, you know, you've got to do that. And that the most successful people are the ones that do that. So is there a, a need in your business right now that you'd like to put out to the listeners? I need you guys to listen to my podcast as well as Whitney's. No, I, I don't think I have a need. I mean, for me, it's just, um, you know, continuing to look for those, those good deals, looking for mobile home parks and, and properties. So awesome. How do you like to give back? I love to volunteer. One of the foundations I volunteer for is junior achievement. Um, uh, there's a couple other ways that we, well, there's a couple other things we're exploring. We, um, forget what it's called. We have a, I think it's called the compact. It's not the compassion project, but there's another, we sponsor a child. I forget what that's called. Um, and then we, we get back to our church on a daily or weekly basis. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, Tyson, tell the listeners how they can learn more about you and, and get in touch with you. Yeah. So you can go to my blog at Tyson D as in David cross.com. And then you can check out our show, real estate deal flow podcast, or go to the mobile home park talk podcast as well. 
Awesome. Tyson, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you being on the show and I appreciate the listeners being with us. I hope you'll also go to LifeBridge Capital and connect with me and and also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show Facebook group so we can all uh, learn and grow our businesses together. And we will talk to each of you tomorrow. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Whitney. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.